Hi, welcome to Examining Lids, a focus on Demodex blepharitis and blepharitosis. It's all about the lids. And I am Dr. Mark Blumenstein from Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm joined today by... Dr. Selena McGee. I am in Edmond, Oklahoma. See, I never would have said Edmond, so that's great. Well, thanks for joining me and uh, going into this little discussion. I, I think for us as ODs, you know, we always are so eager to get into the back of the eye and look at the retina, which is Spanish for retina, and you know, looking at the lens, right? But we lose sight of the fact that there's a lot going on the outside, especially when we start thinking about looking at the lids. So I'm gonna ask you a specific question first, is what's, how do you evaluate the lids? Do you have mm -hmm. something special that you do or? I keep it really simple. When I walk into the room, I'm already evaluating lids. If you and I are sitting here having a conversation, I'm looking at your lids right now. So it is, but it is really important because you learn a lot just in having the conversation with the patient. And so you can see where the lids are, you can see how they blink, do they have a funny head tilt? All of those things will lead you down a different path. Right. And you and you have an emphasis on that because a lot of your practice is aesthetics true but my primary practice is primary eye care and all of those patients in my primary care clinic are referred to myself and to the aesthetics clinic it's not like people are calling me up based on the website or anything that we've done going oh i want aesthetics these are all patients that are already in my primary care clinic that come in for their comprehensive eye care and then we convert them to aesthetic patients based on questions that we ask yeah and i i've always kind of felt that what we do as eye care clinicians is, in a small sense, always directed by aesthetics. If your eyes are red, you think there's something not right with them. You know, if your lids are drooping or the fat pockets under, people are always commenting about. So I do think that it's it's an emphasis that we all are doing. We just don't know it and we're not calling it aesthetics. Yes. And I think for me, I've been practicing a lot longer than you have. You know, we I was always taken by the fact that you see patients that have a lot of debris mm -hmm. on their, their lashes. And you know, for me, it's always like, oh, you know, how do your eyes feel? I don't have any problem. But we know now that those are colorets, right? And that's demodex. So you know, what what is what are the key signs for you when you start diagnosing somebody, or are there symptoms for you to diagnose somebody with DB? Sure. So definitely signs and. You know, when I was in optometry school, we were plucking lashes and looking at the base of lashes. And I never did that in private practice. But now we know that if we have a cholerate on the lash, that is pathognomonic for demodex blepharitis. So I do really simple things like have the patient look down behind the slit lamp so I can assess the base of their lashes. So that's how I identify demodex blepharitis. Yeah, that's 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 a great thing. I mean, you know, you want to have them look down because I think it's oftentimes masked it's by masked. some of the epicampal folds or something else. There was a um, Liz Yu, who's mm -hmm. a, a ophthalmologist in Virginia. One of the things that she does is she'll evaluate the lids why patient why she's focusing her slit lamp. Yeah. Eyes are closed. You know, mm -hmm. she's like, oh, I'm just going to focus my slit lamp, but she's allowing herself to do that. So I think that's great. So, so we looked at these colorets. I mean, what, what in your mind, or how, how would you describe a colorette? So there's different terminology depending, honestly, on where you went to optometry school. I've seen it described as scurf at the base of the lash. I've heard it described as debris. 
there's lots of words out there. And so for me, if I see that sheathing at that cylindrical sheath at the base of the eyelash, that's a collarette. Right. And as you said, I mean, that's, that's, it's one-to-one. -one. You see the collarettes, they've got an overgrowth of demodex, and that's something you need to worry about. So interesting enough, it's like, you know, I, I comment about it and I see it and I was always taken aback by this, but I, would, I see a lot more of elderly patients. The type of practice I work in is cataract refractive surgery center. So I always wondered if it was an age-related uh, phenomenon. What, what is, in your practice, what, do you see a lot of DB or do you think that it's pretty prevalent? So I didn't see a lot of it until I started looking for it. Right. And I do see it in all age groups, even teenagers, certainly, you know, people our age and then our older patients that are ready for cataract surgery. But I think the really key component to that is, oh, I don't really see that many patients with Demodex, but until you are really intentional about looking at it on every single patient, you'll uncover that it's actually much more prevalent than what we previously thought. Yeah, there, there was a recent study, which I was actually part of, to your point, where it was, patient comes in and just, do they have colorettes or do they not? And I was taken aback, because I think in, in my patient population, because I do see refractive patients, you know, some younger patients, but mainly elderly patients, it was about 70%. Yeah. I think some of the published data says it's close to like, what, 58%, mm -hmm. which is just crazy. I think it's out there. But the, the bigger question I think though is, what do you think is unmanaged? Or what, what are the symptoms or patients what, what is, what is it, what's happening to patients when they have an unmanaged demodex? So it's interesting because I've heard doctors say, oh, they just have demodex, but they're not complaining. Or my patient's asymptomatic, I'm not gonna go looking for something. But if you ask the right kinds of questions and you're intentional about looking for the, the causes and the consequences of demodex blepharitis, you'll uncover a multitude of things. For one, eye redness is a big one. I mean, when you look at how many patients are buying something over the counter because they have eye redness, well, redness equals inflammation. So we need to pause and look at what's causing the inflammation and is it really eye redness or is it eyelid redness? Because I see a lot of patients that have rosacea and they have just florid demodex blepharitis. And so, Redness is a huge one, I think. The other one is itching, and I always ask the patient, do your eyes itch? And then show me, show me right. how they itch. Because yeah. that is, for me, almost pathognomonic, because they'll they'll say, oh, it itches right here, or they'll do, you know, it itches like this. Right. And that tells us a huge amount of information to that story. I, I think that point is one that really should be underlined, because it kind of, to me, when I think about the way we diagnosed dry eye in the past, we would literally just say to a patient, do you have dry eye? Mm -hmm. Right, and it's like, no? Okay, thanks for sharing. But we know that it's such a multifactorial, the symptoms are, are, are kind of all over the place. I mean, itching is almost in a small sense a, a dry eye diagnosis also, or a symptom, I should say. But your point where it's like, you know, specific lid itching, I think, is, is an issue. And, do you think, so I, I firmly believe that there's a progression of, diet, of, of, the, of the DB, you know, the Demodex. Um, do you say Demodex or Demodex? Demodex. I, I'm starting to say Demodex because <laughs> I just, I, I think it sounds more 
elusive. You so, be you. I'm gonna be you. Yeah, thank you. So I think that the, this is a progressive condition. I would 100% agree with you. And I think so. It, it's interesting because you know you you and I have, have you know been around you know talking with the. Um, other companies and looking at you know new therapeutics for optometry and the question is when do we start when do you initiate treatment do you wait until the patient's symptomatic or do you do something earlier to maybe circumvent that no i mean we have to talk about it early and often and we have to look for it and diagnose it because you know there's all kinds of things that happen down the road pterygium can be caused by demodex Ordeola telasia can be caused by demodex. Those are things that we don't want our patients to go through. So I think it's really important to diagnose them early. Just because they're asymptomatic at that moment in time doesn't mean that we should wait. I mean, I equate it to a glaucoma patient. Am I gonna wait until they have a visual field defect? No, I'm gonna do what I need to ahead of time so that we don't get to that level. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I feel I feel you, you, you nailed it on the head when you said you saw some inflammation, you see some neovascularization. There's six times more likely, I think, patients that have rosacea, six times more likely to have demodex. So, the other way around. Um, I don't know the number on that one. Yeah. But I mean, but the rosacea. But, but there's a very heavy component of yeah. rosacea and demodex. And all of that inflammation, when it's, it's propagating on the eye, it leads to allergy, it leads to dry eye, it leads to meibomian gland dysfunction. You disrupt all the homeostasis in a yes. cascade of events. Yes, very well said, which is what we're all trying to get to, homeostasis. You know, and I think the other important piece, as we're talking about primary care patients, is making sure to ask what they're using over the counter. Because if they're using a redness reducing drop, oh yeah, that's it, a tip right that's there. That's a red flag. It's yeah. a red flag. Yeah. We gotta dig into that. I, I love that, because to me, it's the same thing with like dry eye. If they walk in and say they're putting a drop in their eye, no, no, I don't have dry eye. Then why are you lubricating your eye? It's like, so it, it's almost a call to action for us. Much yeah. like when patients say I'm using blue blocking computer glasses, they're telling you they think that their eyes aren't as comfortable. They're trying to be proactive about changes in front of a, a computer monitor. So, so to that point then, you diagnose it, we see it's there. You and I both agree that, you know, it's, we need to be proactive. How are you currently managing Demodex in your practice? Excuse me, Demodex in your practice. <laughs> I'm currently managing Demodex in my practice in different ways, and it's a challenge, honestly, because there is nothing currently available that kills Demodex other than we know that IPL, the way that the light is absorbed in the Demodex exoskeleton is the same wavelength that gets absorbed in our melanin. So IPL will kill demodex, but that's only the, su the superficial ones that are on the skin surface. So not every patient wants to have IPL, not every patient is a candidate for IPL. Um, usually what I'm doing is just debulking what is there right. with lid debridement. And then, you know, we're, we are really conscious about the kinds of things they use around their eyes, how they wash their eyes. Um, and I think it's really important. I dive, I take a deep dive into lash extensions because lots of patients have that. That space in between creates a whole little world for Demodex to just have a real good party in there. And so that I think is really important. And then asking about lash serums because that can upset homeostasis and cause a cascade of events. So it's all of those conversations of what are you using, how are you using it, and then here's some specific 
cleansers to use. We can debride in the office. And then if you're a candidate for IPL, we'll talk about that. Yeah, but right. there's no easy way. No, I mean, with the exception of the IPL treatment, there's nothing really that eradicates them. Correct. Which is, I mean, are you excited about the Lotolaner, you know, gel, which is coming out, which yes. has been shown in their clinical trials to completely, well, almost completely eradicate the demodex. With a drop that's twice a day. Yeah. I mean, it's mm -hmm. gonna be amazing. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I think I think that it's it's gonna be kind of exciting too, so. It's, it's simple, right? Yeah. You're gonna look for cholerets, and when you see that, pathognomonic, we know they have demodex blepharitis, here's a drop you're gonna do twice a day mm -hmm. for, you know, six weeks, right. and We'll go from there. I, I think the other thing too, you know, you said when you were in optometry school, you pulled the lash, you mm -hmm. saw the Demodex. Um, now it's easier to say, look, you have these colorettes. Here's something to get rid of them because I don't know what else, what other kind of uh, sequelae they're causing within the eye. Right, and so. I think it's been hard for doctors to really take a deep dive into Demodex, Demodex blepharitis because we haven't had a solution that eradicates it. Yeah. So no one wants to bring up a problem to a patient that they don't have a clear-cut solution yeah. for. So this really simplifies what we're gonna be doing in the clinic with our patients. So let's let's change course for the last few minutes here. Um, talk about blepharitosis. You know, what, what do you think are, well, first of all, I mean, what is blepharitosis? So droopy lids. And there's a, look, we'll talk more. Okay, I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> um, it, it is blepharitosis and it is a droopy lid. It can be unilateral, bilateral. It's a normal, typically part of the aging process, right. but it happens younger and younger and lots of people are bothered by blepharitosis, right. either cosmetically or visually and don't realize it. Do you, can you think of any specific risk factors? Um, well, I mean, if, if we're talking about acquired blepharitosis right. that's due to birthdays, then there's risk factors to their actual vision every day. Mm -hmm. And what I love is in a primary care setting, you can see that. I mean, if you're doing wide field photography and your technician has to reach over and pull the lids up to be able to see yeah. and get the photos that we need and look at peripheral retina, I mean, how much is that affecting their actual vision when right. you lose 25% of your vision through that superior visual field defect? And so it does affect vision and it can make patients tired. There's a multitude of things that go along with the psychosocial aspects of having droopy lids, but also the functioning visual part of having droopy lids. I, I think for me, it's just the notion that we are so fixated on selfies or pictures or how we look. And it's just, I think it's it becomes more apparent um, but also when you raise the lids, patients start to see, you know, that they didn't realize they had it until they see it. Correct. And I know, you know, surgically we've been doing blepharoplasties, but, you know, I know you did something a little bit different mm -hmm. in your practice. So, you know, we're really intentional about uncovering these patients. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I look at when I'm coming into the room, do they have droopy lids? And then we take it, so I always think about, I'm looking and I'm asking, but I'm also asking and looking. So every single patient that walks in the door, we have a questionnaire and part of it's dry eye, part of it's um, rosacea, but there's a section. And one of the questions at the top of the aesthetic section is, do you want your eyes to be more open? Interesting. And the way that you ask those kinds of questions gives you much better success in the clinic mm -hmm. versus do you have droopy lids? Right, right. Because when I ask the question, do you want your eyes to be more open? 
I have many more patients that are like, absolutely yes, versus when I had it, do you have droopy lids? And it was no. So it's really, the nuances of how we ask questions is really important. And so are, are you still dropping the patient in your practice? We do. So we still have standing orders. If the patient says, yes, I have, I want my eyes to be more open, mm -hmm. then we still drop just one eye mm -hmm. so that by the time I get into the room 15 minutes later, then we can have a conversation and you know we take before photos, after photos. Right. And I still like doing one eye and that unilateral because it's right. relative. And then we you know dose the other eye so they're not cattywampus when they leave the clinic. But I do still do that because it doesn't take extra chair time. Um, it works with our flow. I think it flows well with our practice because we should be everything to every patient as opposed to their eyes and such. So, you know, that's great, great insight. I mean, I, I, you don't know how psychologically it helps patients or doesn't, but that's yeah, awesome. You know, and visually, if we can give patients more light, whether, you know, let's take, for example, a cataract patient or an AMD patient, mm -hmm. if they don't have enough light coming in, they're not going to see as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't even, I think sometimes we also get trapped into, well, it's just for a certain age demographic and, you know, does how much light coming in really matter, but it, it matters in, yeah. a, in all of our patients. Lot, right? And so I think that's just a really good take home. Great. Well, I mean, I know it's all about the lids. All about the lids. This one's pretty quick here, but uh, make sure you're looking at them. Thanks, thanks, Selena. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody. Demodex. <laughs>